Almost Awakened podcast, a no-nonsense approach to spirituality. Here we dive deep into the wisdom traditions while acknowledging insightful breakthroughs in science, psychology, and human development. Our goal is to explore the good life and the very best of spirituality, no-nonsense required. Check us out at almostawaken.org where you can check out past episodes, make a donation, email us a question or comment, or find out more about the resources we shared. And now, today's podcast episode. Welcome to another episode of the Almost Awakened podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Bill. Mikkel will be joining us shortly, uh, a little ways into the, our conversation today. Today we sit down with Scott Jeffrey. Uh, he is a wisdom voice in the arena of shadow work. You may be asking, what is shadow work? Well, you're about to find out. We do a live broadcast interview. It turned out wonderfully. This is the audio recording of that podcast, uh, of that broadcast. You can watch the broadcast if you want to on our Facebook page, the Almost Awakened Podcast Facebook page. We also have a YouTube uh, channel. You can watch it there as well. I wanted to start off, before we get to that recording, I wanted to play a little five-minute audio that explains in simple terms what is shadow work. Following that five-minute audio, we will then jump right into our conversation with the wisdom voice on shadow work of Scott Jeffrey. Shadow work is a way to bring your true self out of shadow and into the light. What do we mean by shadow? When we talk about shadow, we mean the parts of ourselves that we have denied or hidden away, maybe even from ourselves. Our shadow is the parts of ourselves we have decided not to be like. Let's take a look at some people who do not have shadows. Infants. They express exactly what they're feeling. They smile when they're happy, cry when they're unhappy, and sleep when they're tired. They're completely authentic. They don't hesitate or edit or hold back. They just express who they are and what's going on inside. But as we grow up, our parents and teachers and our culture in general teach us that parts of ourselves are not acceptable. And sometimes the messages come to us in a pretty harsh way. So we learn to hide those unacceptable parts of ourselves. We like Robert Bly's description in his book, A Little Book on the Human Shadow, in which he says it's as if we have a bag where we put the unacceptable parts. We hide those parts of ourselves away so they won't be seen. At first we put into the bag parts of ourselves that we may think of as bad. Maybe we put our laziness into the bag, or our anger, or maybe we put our greed into the shadow bag, or maybe we hide and deny parts of our sexuality. So we throw some undesirable parts of ourselves into the bag. But some of our most wonderful golden parts get thrown into the bag too. Maybe we put our playfulness into the bag because a parent or teacher didn't like for us to be loud or messy. Or maybe we hide away our creativity because someone said we weren't doing it right. Perhaps our ability to feel unrestrained joy goes in the bag because our life has been hard. Or maybe we hide away our loving connection of intimacy because we've been hurt too many times. As the years go by, we put more and more parts of ourselves into the bag until eventually it's big and heavy, full with all the parts of ourselves that we have hidden away. And we drag the bag around with us, and it slows us down, and it keeps us from being who we really want to be. So by shadow, we mean anything that's in the bag, parts of ourselves that we have denied or repressed or hidden away. If we're trying not to be a certain way, that part of us is in shadow. Now, how can you tell what parts of yourself you may have put into shadow? You may have put a part of yourself in shadow if it annoys you in someone else. I get so angry when they do that. Don't they know that's not okay? If you have decided not to be a certain way, you probably don't like to see it in someone else. On the other hand, you may have put a part of yourself in shadow if you admire it in someone else. Gee, I wish I could be like that person. So creative and courageous, but... I could never be like that. That's a clue that you may have put a wonderful golden part of yourself into shadow. Or you may have put a part of yourself in shadow if you act a certain way by accident. I don't know why I did that. Something just came over me. That's not me. Well, in shadow work we believe it is you, a part of yourself you hidden away in your shadow bag, but it leaked out 
In shadow work we believe that everything we have put in the bag, everything we have put into shadow, has within it a legitimate, useful, even golden energy that we can use in a positive way if we're willing to take that part out of the shadow bag, dust it off, work with it, and find the gold in it. For instance, if we have put our arrogance into the shadow bag, we may have also hidden away our ability to believe in ourselves, to have healthy self-esteem, self-confidence. In denying our unhealthy arrogance, we may have hidden away our healthy ability to believe in ourselves. Healthy self-esteem may be the golden energy inside our unhealthy arrogance. In the same way, if we have put our anger in the shadow bag, we may also have given up our ability to set boundaries and to protect ourselves and the things we value. We may need healthy anger sometimes. And if we have denied parts of our sexuality, we may have limited our ability to connect deeply, heart to heart. And if we have denied our laziness, we may also have given up our ability simply to relax and enjoy life's moments. In shadow work, we think it's inevitable and even a good thing that early in our lives, we put some parts of ourselves into our shadow bag so we can get along in our families and in society. And we also believe that it's a good thing at some point in our lives to want to take some things out of our bag, to reclaim parts of ourselves, to become more authentic, and ultimately to love ourselves for who we are. Scott Jeffrey, welcome to the Almost Awakened podcast. How are you doing this morning? Terrific, Bill. Thanks for having me on. Awesome. Excellent, excellent, excellent. Hey, I just uh, maybe just before we start, give people kind of a, a little brief bio of who you are. Um, let me also say this. It feels like on the first half of life, we're all kind of hiding and, and stuffing things down and pretending to be what the world needs us to be. And it seems like it takes most of us a long time to kind of start to wake up and start to sense these these tools and 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 being honest about ourselves and facing our shadow in the mirror. And um, I'm just curious, not only a brief bio, but what what woke you up and what got you thinking about these things? And uh, maybe kind of start us on that uh, that beginning. Sure, Bill. Well, well, that can take us a good couple of hours to get into. <laughs> um, right, right. The uh, for me, I actually started at a an unusually young age. I think for a lot of people in my position, it's usually a function of probably having a little bit more trauma, maybe than 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 others. You know, we kind of tend to walk our path for a while until we hit a roadblock, and then we start to ask ask those questions. But um, for me, it probably started during college, and then um, doing some backpacking and traveling and everything we seemed to be doing to me seemed wrong. And um, I didn't know what was what was right, but I was willing to kind of go meet with a lot of different people and explore different ideas that um, kind of fell outside what was I was supposed to do probably in my early 20s, which was to focus on work and family and things like that. Um, and so it was kind of like following a trail of breadcrumbs, really. I, I can't, you know, looking back in 2020 hindsight, I could say, oh, okay, I, this is this is, I, I, I could, I have concepts and ideas to explain all the different, um, you know, transitions and uh, insights that I went, went through, but really it was just trying to understand why we do what we did. And, um, you know, so you start, I started with personal development and went deep in those areas, people like Tony Robbins and that sort. And then you start to hit a wall with all that, right? You start to achieve, but yet you still feel really bad internally if you're paying attention uh, and you could you can mask it by just putting another goal in front of you and, and putting a carrot there and trying to run after it. But after a while, it just seems a little meaningless. And so I started to explore consciousness and uh, found my way to uh, Jung's work, Carl Jung and Maslow and Campbell. And that combined with, uh, you know, kind of doing a lot of those uh, internal practices from, from Buddhism and Taoism, it just all started to come into a picture. But like you said, it doesn't happen in the first half. Um, it was really more towards the end of my 30s that uh, any sort of semblance of cohesion started to come in. And, you know, it's, as you say, almost, it's it's an ongoing process. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we want to talk about shadow work today. And, and I came across you just looking for uh, folks on the web that who – who are delving into this topic, who seem to have a well-rounded understanding of what shadow work is. And I think all of us, um, 
on the first half of life, we all are in whatever system, whether it be a religious system and our family systems, and we're raised with a certain way to see the world. And, and we don't know what we don't know. And so a lot of people dismiss these kinds of ideas. Uh, that, that, but soon as people start to look into it and read about it, they go, oh, my goodness, I've got mechanisms. I've got right. things I do that, that, that hurt others and protect me, and, and they don't need to be there. Um, let's start off with shadow work in terms of how you define it. What would you – if somebody said, like, what are you talking about? What is this shadow work thing? Sure. I mean, the most simple and basic definition is shadow represents everything we don't know about ourselves, right? It's like you have your personality and you have your self-identity of who you think you are. And so your shadow represents all the material, all the, all the thoughts, all the feelings, all the attitudes, moods, actions, and behaviors that you don't see, that you're partaking in, that you're having from moment to moment, but are, but are unaware of, that you're divorced from or disconnected from. Yeah, yeah. Um, your thoughts maybe, and again, I know this is, there are a thousand different mechanisms. There are a bunch of different ways in which we hide ourselves. And I, and I think too, I look back uh, when I was a kid, uh, I was just reading up a little bit this morning that often what happens to us, and I can see parts of this in me, that we're being ourself and, and we have so many components to us, whether it's our creativity, uh, our sexuality, um, the way we look, the way we talk, the way we uh, move through the world in every facet. And yet people come to us uh, our parents, our teachers, our friends, and often intentionally sometimes and sometimes unintentionally impose shame for the way we do things. And so we start from a very young age to kind of hide pieces and parts of ourselves, and to present, to present a, an us that is what we think is at least tolerable and hopefully acceptable to the world. Um, your thoughts maybe on how eventually some of us do wake up and decide we want to confront our shadow. What are the kind of things that, that wake people up? You spoke to trauma uh, mm -hmm. in your own life, some type of unhealthiness that was going on that woke you up. Is that generally what it is? I would say it's usually some form of discontent. Um, you know, cause if, when things are going well, there's really no, no reason to explore the, uh, the darker side of things, right? We have, we already have, our, our brain seems to be wired with a negativity bias, right? So we're, we're always sort of fighting to try to move towards the positive. And so sh doing shadow work seems counterintuitive, right? And so we're putting all this energy into trying to uplift ourselves and elevate ourselves when the reality is all of that energy is, is part of what's creating depression in us and anxiety in us. Uh, and so it's, by going into the shadow, by going into the darkness, we actually come to more okayness and contentment, which is ultimately what we're looking for, as opposed to excitement and passion, which is what we're sold as being important. And often you mentioned in parenting, uh, that happens early on, like uh, how it's so easy to watch parents, well, difficult to watch parents that are generating excitement and uh, false uh, interest in things because they want their child to be screaming in, in, in ex excited and, um, and happy when our natural state is actually more calm and centered. It's, it's actually more neutral, which we associate with boredom, but it's actually just because we're okay with what's happening. Uh, and so shadow work is really the process to me, from my perspective, at least is kind of balancing those scales. Um, and like you, like you mentioned, Bill, it really does all, the, the shadow exists because of all of our conditioning and programming. Uh, the Taoists use the term mundane conditioning. It's basically our conditioning from birth that strips away our original spirit or what we really are and um, makes us this composite of what culture and society wants us to be. And Jung, what Jung called the individuation process was the process of sort of returning home to that initial wholeness that you started out with uh, early in childhood. Yeah. When, when I started to understand what shadow work was and my wife, my wife and I, you know, I would do something that would hurt her or uh, be unhealthy. And so then she would want to talk about it. And early on, I could feel myself like wanting to dismiss and come up with excuses and reasons why I do the things I do. And, and slowly little by little, as I understood this, this arena and wanted to begin like, it doesn't matter how hard this uh, stuff is. It doesn't matter how hard um, 
this work is, I, I want to start doing it. And so I start saying, okay, I'm feeling poked right now, but let me sit with that. Let me, let's talk mm-hmm. about what it is I'm doing and why I'm doing it. And let's come up with a different way to do things. Um, shadow work isn't easy. It, it is damn difficult to the point where you realize you could be more comfortable if you just dismiss it and ignore it and don't do it. And yet real growth comes from that. Maybe speak for a moment about how hard this stuff is and the reward of doing it anyway. Sure. I will. Let's start then with why it's difficult, why shadow work's different, difficult. Because the truth is, is that it's difficult for most of us, but not all. And interestingly enough, the people who, let's start with who it's not difficult for. It's not difficult for the people that were, um, were told the truth during childhood, that were never praised during childhood, that were never rewarded for doing basic things in childhood, who almost had a negative disposition from their, the parenting style and teachers around them, right? So for them, their positive or golden shadow might be a little bit more elusive because they maybe didn't get, any, they get that balance where they were told that they were okay too. But the reason why uh, shadow work is challenging for most of us is that we have this self-identity that is ultimately of being um, a positive good person with uh, always having a positive intent, right? And there's that saying of the road to hell is always paved with good intentions, right? And so because that identity is so uh, like locked in, right, the, every, every year from, from birth till present, has been reinforcing that same identity. What shadow work is doing, and the reason why it's difficult, is it's challenging the foundation of that identity. And so as long as we we cling to that identity, shadow work's very elusive and it's constantly meeting up against resistance and roadblocks and uh, different internal tension. Now, there, there is a way, so that's the that kind of the main rub that we have, right? Like what you were just describing with your wife is she was calling you out on something or pointing something out to you and you were like, no, I'm not like that. That's not what I mean. That's not my intention. And so it creates a, uh, a dissonance, right? It's, it's more easy to evoke the shadow in relation to another, for sure. When you're on your own and there's no one challenging you or observing your behavior, it's easy to go on un- unconscious, right? With your unconscious. And so it's leaving the familiar and going to the unfamiliar that we have this tendency of, of resisting. Um, and so that, you know, that's the nature of the difficulty. It's really this internal resistance and ego that's saying, I am this way, when in fact, we're not that way. Uh, and if you, call, if you tell someone that specifically, that creates the most tension, the most sort of uh, opposition. Whereas when it comes to you on your own, through your own observation, right, from an objective viewpoint, where you start to see the patterns running in your life, and you're like, hmm, something's going on here, right? And then there's a curiosity uh, from that state, from that internal state of the center, then you start to see, okay, so maybe I'm not that way. Is that possible, right? And then there's, there's less resistance to it. Yeah, for me, it is painful and hard because there are pieces of me that that are, that are a monster, right? Like all of us have mechanisms, and and all of us, to one degree or another. I mean, I I look at people like uh, Eckhart Tolle or Carl Jung, and um, they try to blaze this trail, and yet none of us are really the expert, right? Like all of us are still working on things. All of us have ego that tries to protect us. And so I, I, I'm stunned in part when you say like some of us don't really have any negative reservations about working on this. We're not really feeling a lot of pain uh, trying to do it. There are parts of me that have survived for my 41 years by having these mechanisms, by mm-hmm. distancing those away from me who, um, who, who don't accept me or don't uh, allow me to fit in the world the way I do, or I've, I hide parts of me that, that are unacceptable. Um, sure. And it is a painful process, at least for me. And I think for many others, um, I'm curious, some of the mechanisms that are out there, what do you see as the ones that you run into the most? What are the things that, and the reason I asked this question, um, the audience is in the thousands. And I want to talk about some of these mechanisms that would, uh, be relatable to as many of these folks as possible. What are some of the shadows that you see most often in people? 
You mean the the qualities of the shadow or how the shadow expresses? Like what kind of mechanisms people use to protect themselves mm, and to shield okay. themselves and to hide sure. themselves that that maybe up until this moment they really haven't uh, faced in the mirror. I, I would say the the this is one of the uh, like Freud's ego defense mechanisms that that he um, he highlighted, and I'd say it's probably the most universal one that we're all subject to on a daily basis, and that's psychological projection, uh, which is essentially what we've disowned in ourselves, we necessarily project or place onto someone else. And so the the way to uh, come to understand your your projections is really to uh, examine your judgments about other people. Right. And so judgments on the negative is usually on the negative side. It's how you're looking down at someone. Uh, and then there's also looking up, which we tend to call envy. And so we can project up onto people or we can project down onto them. Uh, the only thing we're not doing is seeing them eye to eye. And the more integrated you become, the more you start to see, like you'll hear, I hear a lot of people that are like, that might read one of my guides and then they say, well, we're all different. How can you say that? And the truth is, is that when you're in your own individual bubble, it does seem like we're all different. But the more you get to understand your psyche and you start to see that we all have like a shared psyche, you start to see that we're really far more alike than we are different. Uh, and so that sense of plurality and difference is what creates that sense of separation and that, and that constant judging. Uh, one of the things that um, people that are taking my uh, shadow training course, they're constantly saying they in the beginning is they can't believe how judgmental they are. Like it's rare where you finally realize like how almost everyone you meet, there's a voice, a critical voice that's judging. And that judging voice is basically constantly exposing your shadow if you pay attention. But as long as it's judging and as long as you're projecting those judgments onto the other person, you're not seeing the shadow. It's just stay, keeping at the level of separation and you're looking down or up. So projection seems to be one of the big ones. I can certainly see parts of me that do that. I can see parts of my wife that do that. I can see parts of my friends that do that when, as we make assumptions about other people rather than simply asking them a question to define their own story. I, I think we do it often in systems too, where we're always trying to paint the people that are in our system as belonging and the people who are out of our system is somehow less than. Right. Um, and, and I think we do a lot of projection. And for me, that word, um, I always relate it to like, all of us have a right to tell our story and not to have someone else make false assumptions about it. Uh, what others do you see uh, prevalently uh, out there in society? Denial, for sure, right? It's that, you know, all you have to do is point something out to someone and, you know, we all know what it's like when someone's calling, calling us out on something that we don't want to see in ourselves. It's just there's uh, denial that then tends to go into some form of manipulation. Um, so it's kind of re reflecting it back in a way that um, is a misdirect of some kind. The, uh, the archetype related to this is called the denying innocent one. It's, no, I'm not like that. What do you mean? That's not what I meant. That's not what I did, right? And so that denying innocent one expresses itself externally, but internally, it's one of the core sort of behavioral patterns that keeps us from getting to know the shadow. It's, it's constantly saying that it's someone else and is constantly avoiding taking ownership of, of what's happening. Uh, and that, that the, uh, so there's two, this is from uh, Robert Moore's work. There's two sides of it. There's a denying innocent one. And then on the opposite side, there's the detached manipulator, which is the one pulling the strings, right? And so those are two shadows of what's called the magician archetype, which is our cognition. So the challenging thing we have is, is the more advanced or sophisticated we become in our co cognitive development, the, the more tricky our shadow becomes, the more elusive it tends to become. Like, that's why I said where some people don't have a trouble, more people that are more like say, quote unquote, simple-minded, they can see this stuff very easily because they don't have someone, they don't have this internal manipulator that's giving them the voice that, oh, it's the other person. It's not you, it's them, right? Whereas we have that voice constantly saying, it's not, we're not like that, it's not us, it's the other, it's the other person. And so that's, that's I think, uh, probably another very dominant sort of mechanism that's at play. Uh, another one is repression, right? We're constantly pushing down 
our attitudes and feelings. And this happened in childhood because like you just mentioned earlier, Bill, once of like most of the, the attributes and feelings that we had were usually not done intentionally, but uh, subconsciously suppressed, right? We got the signal that it's not good to express anger, even though anger is a very uh, healthy and usually appropriate emotion when you look at how, you know, people are treated. So that, that anger gets pushed down and, and, and suppressed to the point where it's out of view. And then that starts expressing itself through our unconscious behavior. And I mean, if you look at the developmental literature, they say like, like 98, up to 98% of our behavior is unconscious. So clearly the shadow is a pretty formidable thing that's, that's operating within us. Yeah, I'm hoping that Mikel will join us shortly. She actually put a question up that I'll put on the screen here in just a second, Scott. But I, I think these three things all feed off of each other too. Mm -hmm. In that, um, on one hand, this idea of projection, like if we, don't, if we don't take the assumption that the other person is being honest and vulnerable and authentic about their feelings and their motives, then we're likely to project because we know that they're hiding something and deceiving us. So we, we project what we think is really going on with them. On the other hand, the idea of denial uh, often comes from this perspective of like, um, no, no, that person doesn't get to tell me my story. I'm going to, I'm going to name my story and I'm going to tell them what it's, what's really going on inside me. So there's, there's this kind of missing each other. And then I think sometimes repression is kind of the fruits of that, which is if, if I can't count on my partner and I to trust each other's stories, to be honest and our, our narrative, our motives, our, our behaviors and why they happen and what we're trying to accomplish, then, then it makes sense that we're going to start just walking away and hiding more often. We're going to stuff our feelings down and we're just not going to have these hard conversations. Um, I'm, I want to put Mikkel's thought here up on the screen. Okay. And then I want to address, I want to address oh, what please. you said. Yeah. Do both of these. So, so okay. Mikkel here says, why does the shadow become more elusive as we become more awakened? Um, so maybe address how these three work together and then tell us how, um, tell us about the shadow becoming more elusive, which I think you hit on the idea of, of us becoming more complicated and intricate and more creative and how we describe all of this stuff going on, we can hide it more easily. Sure. Sure. Yeah. No, I'll definitely get, get into that one. Um, so, okay. So first in terms of your example, uh, there at one level in terms of your intimate relationship or partnership with another, yes, it's, it's useful to have that assumption that everyone ha has their best interests at heart. But the truth is, is that getting to know your shadow is kind of, for most of us, it's very dark and, we, as Nietzsche said, be careful in casting out the demons, you cast out the best thing in you, right? And so knowing the darkness isn't necessarily, isn't a bad thing, right? When you start to see uh, that someone's manipulating you, right? I don't think it's very necessarily useful to assume that they have their best interests in mind. When you understand how manipulation works and you see someone's manipulating, you then are no longer at the victim of that manipulation because you can become conscious of what's going on, can act accordingly. Now, the error is when you think they're manipulative and you're not, <laughs> right? Then you're unconscious to your shadow. But if you can say, okay, I can see the pattern of manipulation in this person because I know that part in myself. And I know this person has something going on in their life that makes it so that they are in the manipulator archetype, let's say, and they are not necessarily conscious of it. Do I want to be leave myself vulnerable to that person that's being manipulated? No, that's that would actually be doing a disservice to myself. That would create more repressed rage that would then express itself when the opportunity presents itself. That's why this whole idea of self-leadership in relation to shadow work is so important because it means that uh, a lot of the things that we're conditioned to do, like to always like turn the other cheek or uh, to assume the best at someone is really kind of harmful to our psyche and uh, has long-term uh, uh, consequences in terms of the uh, repressed rage that we develop over time. This, if you're familiar with Dr. John Sarno's work, is, um, is very related. Dr. Sarno was uh, uh, like very well known for healing thousands of patients with debilitating chronic pain, usually uh, back pain, not by any medication, uh, but by explaining the source of their pain was not actually physical. 
but based on repressed emotions, usually rage. And so, you know, the shadow is one way to sort of stop, like getting to know your shadow, you're going to stop repressing a lot of the emotions that you're repressing, and you're going to kind of put things in their proper place. So to address this question in terms of why it becomes more elusive, um, there's, there's a model uh, of values in, in um, developmental psychology called spiral dynamics. Um, and spir what spiral dynamics shows is that there are specific values that we develop through both culturally and individually. And so the value that um, is, so uh, just do a brief summary just of, of several of them. Like our modern, you know, first world nations are in what's called orange, which is the achiever self. It's all about uh, development. It's about business. It's about capitalism. It's about science and medicine. It's about, you know, our, our society and culture is built from orange. Then beyond orange is green. Green is the sensitive self, right? Orange is the achiever self. Green is the sensitive self. With green, we get into egalitarianism and, um, and the importance of community and uh, the uh, sensitivity and, and sharing and things of this nature, uh, human rights and animal rights and women's rights. So uh, interestingly enough, until we reach green, this level of, of um, the sensitive self, shadow work is not even on our radar, right? So no one's even like, even like concerned when you're just focused on, like say, just making money um, and your image and how you look and things like that, like, like what's going on internally isn't your primary focus, right? But once you access this, uh, this green wave, it becomes important to sort of look at, uh, you know, what you value and uh, how you behave and how other people perceive you and things like that. Now, the shadow of green, what, uh, like, for example, Ken Wilber explains is that the each with each level of development, there's greater complexity and with greater complexity, more things that can go wrong. And the shadow of green is that it is, it tends to be the most disingenuous, um, dishonest and hypocritical of all the other levels, right? Like it, it attacks orange uh, for being focused on business and then uses the business, uh, you, you know, uses the, the output of, of orange, right? So it's, it's tends to be very hypocritical. And so if you look at a lot of people in, um, like the new age or you know in different spiritual communities it's really a game of posturing uh it's a lot of look how good i am i meditate or like look how special i am i'm part of this group and so it really uh is um restrictive for doing uh deeper shadow work that tends to be more grounding and individualistic right green kind of brings us together as community yellow which is uh, the, the, what's called in, the integrative self, which is at the next tier, is more about coming into wholeness within yourself, which means leaving the group once again. Uh, and so that's part of the challenge. It's a kind of a paradox. We get to this level where values and, and getting to know the shadow is important. And right at that point is when we reach this stage where we're, we're, we're the most unconscious to this hypocrisy that we're living. And we're the most disingenuous with our, with our uh, genuine feelings. Because again, we've repressed all the levels that came before it to access that green wave. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And, and I'm familiar with spiral dynamics and so is a large chunk of our audience. Um, most of our audience is made up of people who have had a really painful journey deconstructing religious systems. Yes. Um, and as they've looked for wisdom out in the world, they've come across um, uh, things like spiral dynamics and uh, kind of faith development, but that idea of of placing trust in outer authorities and now claiming them back and starting to see that there's wisdom outside your system and your authorities don't have the answers. And mm -hmm. so a lot of those kinds of truths are out there and they've come across those. <clears throat> uh, Ken Wilber, of course, being kind of one of the bigger proponents of spiral dynamics and, and much of our audience is familiar with him. Um, Brittany Hartley, who's uh, been a listener of the program for years uh, through the various podcasts, uh, has a question. And, and she comes from a different system, but senses maybe that there's more of shadow work available in Buddhism. Do you find Buddhism to be the only religion that directly tackles shadow work because it confronts the illusion of ego? Um. Well, thoughts there? yeah, in, in terms of confronting the illusion of ego, I mean, I would say uh, Buddhism, uh, Hinduism and 
Taoism do that. Uh, Hinduism, you would have to go to uh, Advaita Vandara, which is you know non the the non dual school, and there they're basically telling you you're not this, you're not that, so you're stripping away the illusion of the ego there as well. And uh, in Taoism, also um, the basic doctrine is that you you have a a conscious spirit, which is the conditioning of your ego, essentially, and then your original spirit, which is who you actually are, and it's by stripping away the um, the illusion and the uh, conditioning of the conscious spirit that you arrive at the original spirit. So I would say all of those, like you know, say Eastern wisdom traditions, are the same in their overall ideology. In that way, what's different is the methods that they use to get there. Um, yeah. And that's the, the, the main thing. Um, but I think in terms of that, that kind of brings up an interesting point, Bill, in terms of shadow work. One of the reasons why I think um, many of us that honestly want to get into a shadow work struggle. And this is where, um, well, I think Taoism, actually, if you have there's certain doctrines in Taoism that really kind of um, express this, is that before you go into this stuff, and this was the information that Jung didn't have available at his time. But uh, you're, you're supposed to do a lot of preparatory work before you start going into the psyche and exploring your shadow. Uh, and that is like what we might call in like on the, in the Western side, like centering, right? If you're in your, when you're in your, like rooted in your center. And so there's no energy, like uh, the Taoist term is called turning the light around where you're kind of examining the mind, the observing mind. Again, you'll see, echoes in Buddhism and, and, and uh, Advaita as well. It, it's important to spend time first rooting yourself in this observing mind where you can have that non-judgmental, you know, mindfulness or awareness of what's happening where you're not going to get defensive. Because when you're doing shadow work and you start to get defensive and you start to have resistance, it's a sign that you're out of center. And there's absolutely no way of doing shadow work out of center. It just isn't going to happen. You might even come to see certain things, but it's not going to influence or change any of your behavior. To truly change your behavior, you have to be in your center first. Um, and again, this was something that wasn't emphasized in Jung's time because the translations of these texts weren't available. And the ones that were like the secret of the golden flower that was translated by his friend, uh, Richard Wilhelm were inaccurate. And so didn't give the foundational understanding of what was necessary in, in preparing your consciousness for getting to know the conditioning that was uh, thrusted upon you in your formative years of development. Yeah. Wow. Um, so again, there's just a handful of people watching this live. There'll be several thousand who watch it, watch or listen to the audio when it's published after this. Um, some of these people, these folks don't know what shadow work is. And so they're listening and they're going, okay, I've got mechanisms. I've got ways that I hide. I've got ways that I manipulate others. I've got ways that I interact with the world in unhealthy ways, but they're, they've been hidden all my life. I haven't confronted them. Um, and they're saying, okay, I, I want to start doing this. I want to start uh, thinking about what it means to jump into this arena and, and start doing shadow work. What, what is your suggestion to somebody who comes to you and says, like, I have no idea what this looks like, but I want to start. Uh, what do they do? Well, uh, the first thing you can do is just I have a, a, a free primer on my website that kind of breaks things down of what it is, how it forms, and, and that, that sort of thing. That's a, a good preparatory uh, uh, thing to do when you're first getting started just to understand the basic concept of it. But ultimately, that's not going to help you actually do shadow work. I think probably the easiest way to get into it is to focus on what I call shadow triggers, um, which are essentially, yeah, if you just click on guides there, it'll, you'll have uh, access to, oh, you're on the page. Right? Yep, yep. Um, so uh, when a shadow trigger is basically something that, anything that triggers you emotionally, right? There's different kinds of triggers. We've already really talked about two. One is judgment and the other is emotions. And so um, if you take Anything that happens to you, you can do it on the spot during the day, or you can do it at the end of the day, right? You just kind of take a look at what, um, what is charging you. Is this something that someone said to you in a store, something a friend said to you, someone said something to you at work, and it just, it drove you nuts. It's, it's ruminating in your mind. It's, you're turning it over again and again and again, right? And it's not going away. So that's the opportunity to pause and say, okay, what is it here 
that the uh, that do I do I think the other person is doing, right? Because first, it's what it's it's about them, right? That's how it always starts. So because it's it's much easier to she, see the shadow in relation to another. So you might say, okay, well that person was being so arrogant. Now that person might have said something, and they might have been being arrogant, right? But their arrogance would not trigger you emotionally unless that arrogance was in you as well and you were disowned and that arrogance was disowned. And so the, the key is where at any time there's an emotional trigger, anytime you get there's an upset of any kind, you get frustrated, you identify what it is in that other, that other person is doing, what's the quality in them that's triggering you, and then you bring it back to yourself. And you might ask, okay, so is there a time in my life where I can remember being arrogant? Or can I, uh, do, have I ever been called arrogant? Or when, when might I have been in a, in a position to, to act arrogant? And was someone looking at me arrogant and I didn't realize it? Now, if you're very highly resistant, again, out of center, you're not going to see it in that moment. It's, it's, you're going to say, no, that's not me, right? But if you keep turning, coming back to your center and reflecting on that, your, your unconscious, your body will essentially show you, the images will start to come up and you'll, be, and you'll start to feel maybe a little shameful or, you know, your body will tighten up and be like, oh, wow, well, yeah, I was kind of arrogant when, when I was with that person and I was looking down on them because they didn't know something and I did. So then you can start to bring that part back into you. And so that's the basic process is you identify the, the, um, the trigger, you see what you're putting on that person, right? That's the projection. Now, because that's the thing about projection. When you're projecting onto the person, it's not that that person isn't behaving that way. Someone might have been rude to you, right? So the person could have genuinely been, been rude. But when someone's being rude, again, you would be neutral to it if you know, okay, they're just being rude because you know what it's like to be rude. There's times where you're stressed or dealing with someone and someone hits you at the wrong way. And so, you know, you just become rude. Uh, and, you know, there's no regulation in that moment. There's no uh, mental energy reserves to, to regulate the emotion. And just that rudeness expresses itself. Uh, so it wouldn't keep you ruminating about it. You wouldn't be thinking about it if it wasn't something that's disowned in yourself. So then you bring it back to you and you say, okay, so when, am I, when have I been like this? Or you say, I'm going to watch out for that and see if I'm interacting with a lot of people that are rude to me. Are a lot of people being rude to you, right? If a lot of people are being rude, a lot of people are being arrogant, when you're starting to see the same type of people over and over again, this is again, the, the, this sort of world sh showing you yourself, right? All the world's a stage. So it's all, it's showing you this aspect of yourself and that, and it's going to keep doing it until you start to see, oh, I'm like them. I'm the same way. And then all of a sudden, magically, <laughs> those rude people will begin to disappear from your life. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Mikkel just finally had a chance here to kind of join in with us. Mikkel, good to see you. Thanks. So, so any thoughts? Yeah, I have a question. Um, you talk about um, getting centered. And so what would you suggest as a way to get centered when you're feeling triggered or, or noticing your shadow? So, yeah. So that's where the, again, the preparatory work comes in because when you're already triggered, it's, it's uh, measurably more difficult, as you know, right. to come back to your center, right? And so that's where, like, what the traditions kind of are explaining, you know, we kind of have this thing here, like, in America, where it's kind of the in thing to do to meditate for 20 minutes a day, right? And then we go back. So we, we become meditative and spiritual for 20 minutes, and then we go back to our insanity, you know, until the next time we sit down to meditate. And the traditions actually says that's wrong. It says that that's a bad thing to do because it creates another split in our psyche. It creates a meditative self uh, in contrast to the, um, to the uh, non-meditative self, let's say. Uh, and so what, what they really suggest is, and the reason why they had um, sitting meditation was really as a preparatory state, but then you were supposed to come back to that state throughout the day, no matter what you're doing. You turn that light around, you draw your energy back into yourself over and over again. Like right now, for example, you're listening to what I'm saying, but a part of you can be bringing that energy back into yourself again and again, observing the mind, observing your thoughts, observing, you know, um, different judgments that you're having, 
uh, uh, different criticisms. It's just, it, you start to see that those voices are constantly going. And instead of letting them run, and instead of ju or, or judging them, you just start to witness uh, and observe them. So, but that doesn't help with your question, which is once you're triggered. So once you're triggered, um, it's important to have a way of, again, coming back home. Uh, and so everyone has different ways of doing that, right? For some, it might be taking a cold shower. Uh, for, for others, it might be uh, earthing, right? Grounding themselves or sun gazing, you know, something that settles them down. Like it could be listening to binaural beats or whatever it is. Now, eventually, again, you want to be able to do this on the go, on the fly, in those in, like intense situations. But that's where the training comes in. Right. That training enables you to get back to the center again and again, regardless of the situation. And in the beginning, you have to know that you're not going to be able to do that because there's there that training hasn't taken place yet. Um, but as you progress and as you notice, um, like, for example, there's um, uh, a, st uh, a standing uh, form of standing meditation in, in Qigong called uh, Zhang Zhang, uh, which is uh, translates to standing like a tree. And you basically just align your posture in the correct way, the way it's designed to be that kind of allows everything to drop down and sink. And uh, it opens up like the, your whole energy passageway so that uh, you start to feel all the sensations that we're supposed to be feeling from moment to moment. Now, in the beginning, it take quite a, quite a lot of doing, right? We have a lot of numbness in our body. You start to find you have a lot of pain in different areas where you have repressed emotions that you're not aware of. And so you might be doing it for quite a while, but eventually over time, you get into that space where you awaken that energy body quicker and quicker. And so the more, the quicker you can get there and the more you can root yourself in your center of awareness in your body, the easier it is to see the trigger. It's like you start to catch the trigger as it's starting to arise, as opposed to uh, it, it already there, you're running it. And now it's like, what do I do? <laughs> right? So you catch it earlier, you see the patterns about to run but because you're observing it, it starts to draw the energy out of it. Because what we don't realize is our unconscious is putting all that energy in it, like revving up the engine to get it going, right? But the more you enter that state of the center, that the more you start to draw the energy away from it. And the more energy you draw away from it, the less it has to run. And it just sort of begins to fizzle on its own. We've got about uh, about 18 minutes left with you, Scott, and I want to make sure we, we use that wisely. Um, it feels like at the same time we're doing shadow work that we're also – that we also need to confront our ego, right? Our ego – man, our ego does such a heck of a job of trying to protect us that it, it often is the root of all these mechanisms. And, there, and, and as you point, when Mikkel says like, okay, I got agitated, something poked me. How do I get grounded? How do I get centered? And you're speaking to that. It seems like all of these tools of whether it's the Zhang Zhang or whether it's uh, another tool, it seems like the goal is to kind of get to that space where we let our ego go. And we're just back with ourselves, kind of inside ourselves going like, okay, it's all right that I felt poked. It's okay that something else is going on. It's okay that there's an agitation happening. Um, we have a good friend that tells us the same thing, like sit with it, just sit with whatever that sensation is. Um, your thoughts on the ego and maybe working on diminishing the ego is, is, is obviously a deep part of the shadow work. So this is where I have found the, um, the, the these different Taoist practices so useful in integrating into, with, uh, with shadow work. Because the challenge with sitting with it is it seems like that's the right thing to do. And, but if you've done it for enough, you start to see that sitting with it can actually make it turn even faster and you get more agitated and you figure out what you want to say and you just, you energize the heck out of it. Right. And so it's, it's not necessarily effective. And so when I, you know, I love that you're countering this, I love it. <laughs> so, um, well, just from experience, cause that's where you, that's like kind of the first instruction you start to hear It's just, well, sit, just sit with it and see what comes up, reflect on it. And it, it's in a way, it's a form of sadism. So, um, at least from, from my experience, um, the, the, um, this, I, this concept of, of turning the light around, it's basically the, the problem is when you say the ego, it's essentially the mind with all of its self-identities and constructs that it has beliefs about itself. And so letting go of that, what are you going to let go of that with? 
it's kind of like the mind trying to let go of the mind. And it's, it creates a paradox on itself that ultimately just becomes this endless loop. And you feel at times like you're getting somewhere and then there you are back again in the ego. And so what I found useful is thinking in terms of energy centers. So we have one in the, the, um, the, the gut area, right? And these are all areas of the body that we have uh, neuronal networks to. Obviously, we have the mind. That's the top one that we're all familiar with, the brain. Right? And then you have your heart center, which also has its set of, of neurons. And then you have your gut. And your gut, it connects to your, the gut neurons connect through your basal ganglia to your brain. And so there is like these different networks of communication. The challenge that we have and what makes shadow work so elusive is that we're relying on just one center. We're kind of cut off from our body and stuck in our minds. And so and when we're sitting with it, we're still sitting with our thoughts. And so uh, the, in terms of a practical way of doing this is bring your awareness back into your body right? Which isn't done by thinking about it. It's done by witnessing the breath, watching the breath, and then allowing it to sink deeper and deeper into the body. When we're, when we're in our ego, when we're in our identity, it's because we're breathing essentially from our mind. We're breathing from our head. It's like very shallow. It means whenever your thoughts are racing fast, it's because your breathing is up top, right? The, the, the deeper the breath goes, which again, it doesn't happen by force or by will, it's just by, by observation. It sinks lower and lower and it gets more grounded and slow. And you become sort of just enter this state of awareness that's difficult to describe. We've all had those moments of that, right? But we haven't been able, we don't, we don't do anything necessarily to root ourselves there. And so instead of focusing on trying to let go of the ego, bring your awareness back into your, into your body. And what happens is the energy, as your awareness goes back into your body, the energy flows with it. And so your mind becomes naturally more quiet. And so your identity can be there in any moment. Your ego can come back. All you do is re-engage with the thought stream, right? Rev that engine back up and you're right back there. And so keep sinking it back down over and over. That's the practice. Bring it back to your center. Bring it down further and further and further. And that ego becomes kind of just a concept. And it becomes like an amusing concept that we think is a thing, right? The ego becomes a thing because we talk about it as a thing. And then all of a sudden, it's, it's just not there. And it, when that happens, your behavior changes because you find that you're not reacting the way, the way you do, right? The way you, you did before when you're in your mind, right? The mind's going to always be the way it is. So instead of trying to change it, right? That's the kind of, I guess what I'm saying is the, the challenge we have is we're constantly trying to change the mind. Where that mind, by all the research that we have now, it's kind of fixed in a way. It's we have neuroplasticity. We can change it. But man, is it slow. <laughs> and uh, we're pretty well rooted in, in, how, in what we believe and, and how we think things are and who we think we are. But the more you bring your awareness down into the body, the less that those that what, again, the Taoists call that mundane conditioning becomes an influential factor in our, in our lives and, and how we approach things. Wow, super cool. <clears throat> it reminded me of, and again, I don't want to get off on a tangent here, but it just reminded me of some research that came out over the last year where it talks about each of our organs kind of have their own consciousness to them, um, that they've, they've discovered this in the last year or so. And, and when you think about our, the areas of our body and how we're kind of different facets of us, which you're pointing at, and being in kind of communication with our whole self and, and recognizing that certain parts of our self or our body uh, handle these conversations differently as we have this internal dialogue going on. Mm -hmm. That's right. And, yeah. and, that, and that's very, that's very true. Each of the organs has their own, um, uh, their own frequency, their own sort of sounds that they make. Uh, and you could even find there's some, I've, I've, uh, I've once um, interacted with someone who was uh, Japanese and trained from his grandfather at, at like age four to actually be able to communicate with each organ and his ability to, diagnosed cancer and different things was like, you know, he's, he was a well-known healer as a consequence. And he literally would hold your pulse and he can, he can, by moving uh, very subtly around your arm, like detect whatever's going on in each organ. So, mm. I mean, and that's, it, that's kind of an interesting thing when you look at the shadow and like how trauma is often uh, what kind of reinforces the shadow early on. Imagine that we're supposed to be able to feel every inch of our body. 
imagine we're supposed to be able to feel the blood flow literally going through every part of our body and yet tune into your body and notice how much numbness there is, how little of the body you actually feel, right? So that's all the repressed emotions that are creating energy stagnation that then lead to different shadow problems, different health issues, different mental health issues and what have you. Mm. Very interesting. Cool stuff. Um, Mikkel, I just want to check and see if you've got anything else that you wanted to ask. I want to give Scott some time at the end to, to kind of point listeners to where a lot of his work is and where they can find it. Um, but before we do that, anything from you? No, I just, I, I think it's fascinating. Um, I, I read a couple of books a couple of years ago. One was The Biology of Belief and the other one was mm -hmm. Molecules of Emotion. And it just mm -hmm. talks about how, yeah. you know, the thoughts that we think produce chemical reactions and how those affect our body. And so it, it's fascinating to me. Um, and as a nurse practitioner, I wish that I could teach this to patients. I wish people were more receptive to it because it can play a huge role in not only mental health, but their physical health as well. So yeah, I, this fascinating. That's all. <laughs> yeah. Kudos, kudos Scott for all the work that you've put in to understand this, this arena. And I know that you, you speak on other topics and other other subjects, other arenas too. And and man, I just you're a smart guy. You're well spoken. You're well informed. Um, I just really appreciate what you bring to the table and what you what you offer people in a way to to gain new tools and resources so that they can improve their lives. Oh, thank you, Bill. Yeah, I, yeah. I mean, I enjoy this work. I mean, really, of course, I'm just I'm doing it myself, and so like, that's the tricky part of teaching it is because then there's the part I, I this tripped me up early on. And I was actually uh, um, a biographer of um, an authorized biographer of a well-known spiritual teacher. And that's actually how I got to know the shadow is here. This person's talking about all these like amazing concepts and things. And then the more I got to know his life, the more I got to see that he wasn't actually doing any of these things and was disingenuous with many of the things he was saying, but yet was clearly unaware that he was doing these things. And so without understanding the shadow, um, I had no way of understanding what was going on, but I found for myself, it was the same thing. The challenge is, is that we think because we might know something intellectually that we're integrating it and applying it to our life. And usually it's, it's the opposite. It's like you're what I, I've come to see is that the things that we're, we're talking about and, and that are interesting to us are the things that we most need to learn ourselves. Oh, beautiful, beautiful. Um, with a few minutes left, tell us about how people can find you, how they can find your work. Uh, where uh, We had one listener, let me see if I can put it up on the screen here really quick. We had one listener wondered if you do a podcast, that they're super intrigued by what you've spoken on today. Where can people uh, find more stuff? Well, only one source really, and that's uh, my, the website, which is uh, scottjeffrey.com. Um, and you'll find an arsenal of in-depth guides on things like shadow work and psychological development and Jung's individuation process and self-actualization. And if those topics interest you, Spiral Dynamics too. Um, and there's, you'll find free eBooks and things like that as well. Um, and then I have uh, courses uh, that I offer. I actually have a course called Shadow Training. It's, it's not open at the moment, but it's, I think from what I could tell the most in-depth thing you're going to find out there. I'm very proud of it. It took quite a while to put together, but it basically takes you really step step by step through both the concepts and theory to over 20 different practical methods for working with your shadow. And that's it. I'm, really, I'm not on social media. I don't do a podcast and I'm not on social media and uh, I don't do too many interviews and things like that. I've gotcha. kind of got to this point where it's kind of like, what are the things that I'm willing to do that uh, I find less resistance to? That, I guess that's also, that's one of the aspects of the shadow. Is you start to become much more real with yourself. Uh, you start to see where your limitations are. And instead of trying to push through them, you just accept that they're there. Um, which a lot of personal development is about, you know, kind of pushing through limitations. But that's actually the, um, from an archetypal perspective, that's the hero energy, which is an adolescent uh, archetype that's supposed to help us try to, um, you know, figure out what our limitations are. So as you get to know your shadow, you start to kind of uh, settle back into yourself. And although it might seem limiting from that heroic part that wants to keep pushing in different areas, it's actually quite grounding and settling and uh, creates much less anxiety because then you don't have to try to be something you're not and you just become okay that 
you know, you have these limitations and that's just how it is. Yeah. I love it. I love it. I, and I think, again, I, I certainly associate and uh, can feel what you just said. Like that's happened in my own life. I tried to stretch myself at times too thin, trying to, perf- to correct everything in the world and, and now kind of backing off and seeing where, where I'm most useful and, and doing my own uh, self-care as well, taking breaks from things. Um, appreciate your time being on. And I know that, you know, again, you've, you've decided to put your energy into, into helping other people out and you kind of pick and choose your, your spots where you, where you do something outside of that. And I just appreciate you coming on the podcast today. I'm glad it worked out. And I think people really are going to enjoy your conversation, both those who are watching live uh, as well as those who hear the audio here shortly. Uh, appreciate your time and appreciate uh, who you are and all the work that you do. Thank you, Bill. Thank you. Yeah. It was a pleasure being on your show. Awesome. Have a great day, my friend. And thank you. Thank you. Take care. Now. This has been another Almost Awakened episode. Check us out at almostawakened.org where you can check out past episodes, make a donation to keep this podcast running, email us a question or comment, or find out more about the resources shared in today's episode. For coaching opportunities or extra support, visit no nonsense spirituality.com to meet with certified spiritual director Brittany Hartman.